Man, what's going on? Wow, what a beautiful morning. It seems like fall is finally here now that November started. We've got like 50 degree weather. It's really nice. Um, excited about that. Um, man, thank you guys for having me here this morning. My name's Joshua. Um, I'm from a church called Ethos. Some of you guys may have heard of that. Um, it's really lame, but no, I'm just kidding. It's awesome. I love it there. Uh, but I'm excited to, to be with you this morning and just to address attention um, that can sometimes be in my own heart. Um, this thing that's happening right now that you find yourself in, like you find yourself in a seat and you're looking at a guy who's probably going to talk about the Bible right now, um, this may feel really routine and really like normal. And that's, that's probably because you come here every week. Um, but this is a really special time. Um, this is significant. Anytime I see a group of people that have chosen to use their Sunday morning to come together in a group and worship the name of Jesus together, that is special. Okay? And I'm, I'm saying that to you, but really I'm kind of saying that to myself. As weird as it sounds, even when you teach, you can fall in this routine of being like, all right, I go, I open the Word, I say my part, and then we leave, and we go get lunch somewhere, and, and that's kind of it. And then we, we do it again on Sunday. But it's like, man, I don't want to, to live a life where that's my expectancy of Jesus when I gather with a bunch of people who believe in Jesus. I don't want it to be that we come here and do a routine thing. So can we just like not do that this morning? Can we come here and expect God to speak through His Word in spite of me and, and like just trust that the Holy Spirit is at work? Can we just... Can we do that? Can we agree to do that? Are you guys cool with that? Like, Jesus, you're welcome here. Awesome. Let's do that. Okay, so, um, yeah, I don't pretend to, to be up here and think that I'm capable of giving some emotional pep talk and change the trajectory of your life. That's, that's not what this is. I think we need the Spirit of God to do that. So um, I just, I, I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads real quick. And I, I'm just, it's, it may be weird. I don't think it's weird, but I'm going to invite you just to repeat after me a prayer. Um, and if you don't mean it, like, try to mean it. And it's okay, though. I get it. Like, so I just invite you, bow your heads, close your eyes, and just kind of repeat after me. Say, Jesus, you are welcome here. Jesus, you are welcome here. Jesus, you are welcome here. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, so last week, you guys have been walking through Mark, right? Going through the book of Mark. You were in like chapters 8 and 9 last week. Good. Your outline that you emailed me was spot on. That's awesome. Okay. Um, so we've, just to kind of recap a few kind of significant moments in what you guys have been talking about in Mark 8 and 9, we've got this moment where Peter says Jesus is the Messiah, right? It's a big moment. Peter, James, and John all witness uh, the transfiguration, like, you know, Elijah and Moses and Jesus are all kind of hanging out on top of a mountain. It's pretty weird, but um, we see kind of like this moment of power with Jesus. We're starting to see like the picture that he is special, that God's hand is clearly on him, and possibly he is God, and that's kind of starting to become more clear. But surrounding these big moments where we see Jesus as Messiah, we almost see Jesus kind of being like a big Debbie Downer. Like he keeps delivering these sort of sobering truths in between these kind of like mountaintops experiences. And so I'll get specific. In chapter 8, uh, Jesus uh, is talking to Peter, and Peter professes Jesus to be the Messiah. Now, if you've heard that story a lot, you're like, yeah, I remember that story. But think about what Peter's actually doing in this moment. He's saying, Jesus, you human in front of me, what I'm saying is you are the savior of the entire world forever and always. So this is a huge moment. Like, it's not normal. I don't do that to any of my friends. I never profess that about them, right? But like Peter is doing that with Jesus. And then right after that moment, Jesus predicts his death. And Peter's like, wait, 
stop. Like, you're the Messiah. I just said you're going to save the world. You're not going to die. And he, it says that Peter takes Jesus and, like, rebukes him. One, picture Peter rebuking Jesus. That's kind of funny. But anyway, so he, he rebukes Jesus. And he's like, no, like, you're the Messiah. Like, that, that, that's not the plan. That can't possibly be what's going on. And then in chapter 9, we see the transfiguration. And, and then there's a boy who is possessed by an evil spirit, and Jesus casts him out. And we see this powerful moment with Jesus and he's, his power and his glory is on display. And we're like, yes, like that's him. That's the Savior. That's our deliverer. And then for a second time, Jesus predicts like, hey, I've, I've come to die. That's why I'm here. And I'm going to resurrect in three days. And it's like, Jesus, can you stop for just a second and let us enjoy that you are like killing the miracles, like you're doing amazing, like you're the Savior of the world. Can we not live in this? And then Jesus is constantly like, bringing him back, like, hey, remember, like, what this is all about. And what I think is happening is he is kind of redefining, uh, reshaping, molding their expectation of what it looks like to participate in the kingdom of God. And that's kind of the train of thought that I want us to to be in as we walk through chapter 10 together. So we're going to be in Mark 10. If you've got your Bibles or your phones with a Bible app only, open to Mark 10. Yes. All right. I tr- trust you guys so much. don't even know you trust you. Um, but anyway, so we're going to see how Jesus continues to reshape um, that his followers' picture of what it means to participate in the kingdom of God. Because they see these big moments and they're like, Jesus, you're amazing. He's like, hey, remember. Like, remember why I'm here. Remember what's going on. So we're going to be in chapter 10. We're going to look at a couple of stories. And just to give you some context, so the big picture, um, Jesus is reshaping our view of the kingdom of God. That's kind of the big picture. And then to give you some context, in chapter 10, Jesus is going to be heading to Jerusalem. And this is going to be kind of his last trip to Jerusalem. And, and if you don't know why, it's because Jesus is going to die in Jerusalem. Okay, so he's already predicted twice, I've come to die. And so just enter this mindset, allow yourself to go there. Picture knowing that there is a city you're going to die in. That'd be a weird thing to know, but let's just say you know it. And you are willingly heading there to give up your life. That is where we are at with Jesus. Um, in one story, he's about to head there. In another story, he's heading to Jerusalem. Picture what it's like knowing you're going to die. What would you be doing? Right? You'd probably be with the people who are close to you, and you'd probably be talking about some really important things, Right? As time's kind of ticking away. And I think that's what we're getting with Jesus here. Like everything he said was so important, so maybe it's all equally important. But I just picture Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, thinking about the significance of what's coming. And he's prepping his disciples and he's prepping his followers. Like, hey, this is what is important. This is what I want you to know. That's what we're going to look at, okay? So we're going to look at two different stories. First, I want to pray. Um, and I want to pray for my own heart, um, man, that I wouldn't be silly enough to come in here and not expect God to do something through his word. And just pray that, man, we, just, we take something away from this morning and it kind of changes our life, at least for today and tomorrow and this week and whatever. So let's pray. Jesus, um, you are welcome here. Uh, God, I, this morning, am just so aware of just, man, how human I am. And God, I, I want to just like release the burden of being responsible for changing hearts this morning. Um, that's not my job. I know that. Um, God, that's not our job. That's your Holy Spirit. And God, we want, I want, I, I pray that we want to trust that you can do that, that you will do that. God, would you help us in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Spirit to open up our hearts to you? As normal as Sunday might feel, God, may you pour yourself out in a fresh way this morning. God, would you, man, please help our, our Monday to look a little different because of Sunday. 
God, forgive us where we've come in here and just constantly like just kind of heard it and then kind of thrown it out by accident. I don't think we mean to do that, but we do that. We're distracted. God, I pray that you'd help us as a church to participate in your word today, to participate in learning um, and loving each other. Thank you so much for Jesus, and thank you for the freedom to be in this really cool building um, and to lift your name high, uh, for there is no other name worthy. Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I don't know how many of you are either current or former athletes, um, but I, I used to play um, some pretty serious sports. I was, I'm pretty good athlete, just a heads up. And I played all the way up until seventh grade, and then I just kind of gave it up. I, the, the fame and the money, it was too much for me. I couldn't do it. I was like, God, I'd really, I really just want to live for you instead. No, I'm just kidding. So I was terrible at sports, but I played them. Um, and so I remember um, in seventh grade, I played on a basketball team at a small Christian school, very not good team. There were eight players. If you know anything about basketball, you need five players, right, to start. Out of those eight, I was not a starter. So I was in the minority of starting. I didn't even start. It was awful. So I was a bad player, but I still am ultra competitive and love sports. And so um, maybe you understand this. So I remember like playing like soccer and baseball and basketball and like elementary school. And I remember within the first like practice, you know, coach rounds up the team. I know some people, I don't know everybody. And he starts talking and I immediately would start just dreaming up, man, what if we do it though? Like what if we win the championship? Like, what if we end up on this season, if we end up on top? And I would just daydream, and I'd be thinking, no, 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 not only that, though. Like, not only am I on the winning team, what if I get the ball with, like, three seconds left, and it's all on me, and I make the shot? Like, that would be insane. That would be so cool. What if I'm up in the bottom of the ninth? Well, this was, like, fourth grade, so it's probably like the bottom of the seventh. I don't think they did nine innings. So bottom of the seventh, game-winning chance, and I, I hit the ball, and I get the game-winning hit, and everyone celebrates. And it's like my mind, it was in the first practice, would immediately um, go to what it would look like to be a champion. I'd immediately be picturing the trophy. I would never be thinking about the work. I would never be thinking, I should probably practice a lot. I'd be thinking, I should probably win the championship. That's what I want to do, right? Like that's the kind of where my mind would go to. And any good coach that would see a team that was only thinking about the trophy and not the process would be like, hey guys, do you know where a championship starts? Practice number one. This is where it starts. Any good coach would take their team's expectation of a championship and reshape what it looks like to be a champion because the truth is, a true picture of a champion isn't someone holding a trophy, right? It's, it's someone going to the gym and putting in work. It's someone that lifts weights far more than they ever lift a trophy, right? It's someone that shoots basketball in the gym far more than when no one's around, far more than they shoot it when everyone's watching and the clock has two seconds left, right? A true champion puts in the work. And I think in that same kind of train of thought that Jesus is going to be giving us a truer picture of what it looks like to participate in the kingdom of God. And in the two stories, I think that's going to make sense. And I, we're going to see people coming to Jesus and asking Jesus, having expectations, and they're going to be seeking some kind of prize. And Jesus is saying, I hear your request. I hear what you're wanting from me. Let me shift your picture of what it looks like to do this. Let me kind of change like, what you're asking for. Let me kind of like change your heart here. I need you to see like what I'm after, what the kingdom of God is really all about. So the first story we're going to read, you're probably familiar with it. If you've read Mark once in your life, it's, it's a popular one that gets taught a lot. It's in verse 17 through 22. You might hear the, the, the name of the rich young ruler. If you've never heard it before, it's a cool story. I'm excited to share it with you today. So if you got your Bible, 17 through 22. Oh, I forgot we did that. 
It's on the screen, so that's great. Um, all right, so verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I, all these I have done, kept since he was a boy, or since I was a boy. The guy is really obedient. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So we read this passage, and you see we got a man um, who has his own understanding of what it looks like to participate in the kingdom of God. He obeys, he obeys the commands. He obeys the law. He knows the word, yet something in him senses, like there's got to be more than what's going on here. There's got to be more to this than what I'm experiencing. So he comes to Jesus, and when you're reading it, you're like, dude, like great start. Like you sensed there was more, and you went to Jesus. Like you're A-plus so far, but what do we see? What's his question? What's he ask of Jesus? What must I do to what? What's he ask him? Inherit eternal life, right? He's looking for eternal life. Sometimes I'm going to do that, okay? So we see that he's, he's coming to Jesus and saying like, hey, I want the, the prize of heaven. Like That's what I want from you. He wants security and comfort and peace. He wants to know like, have I done enough? What can I do? Have I done enough? But what does Jesus want? Jesus says sell everything, but I think it's a bigger picture. I think Jesus is asking for the possession of his heart, right? He's asking, like, I need you to kind of get rid of anything keeping you from really following after me. Like, you've got this picture of the kingdom where you can kind of attain things and you can kind of do it on your own. I actually kind of need you to get rid of that notion and just give it all away to follow me. So we have this man who wants the prize of heaven, and Jesus simply asking for the possession of his heart. And it turns out this is a really big conflict of interest for this man, apparently. The rich man wanted to participate in the kingdom of God, but he wanted to kind of do it like in his own way. And maybe you got, some of you guys can relate to this man. Um, this man is rich, and, and I'm assuming it wasn't by default. I, I'm assuming he did, maybe his dad was rich, but he had to do something to acquire the wealth and to maintain it, right? It, it wasn't an accident that he had a lot. Maybe you guys can relate to that. You know, my dad, he... He kind of was in a really broken home and had nothing, and he built his way to the, He kind of built his way to where now he's a successful businessman. He kind of did it on his own. Maybe some of you guys have that story, or maybe you guys were just born into some wealth. But either way, we know that this man has much, and he comes to Jesus saying, "Like, hey, what's left? I've done this all on my own. What else can I do? Like, what can I do to accomplish this?" And Jesus hears this man's request, and he begins kind of reshaping his understanding of what the kingdom of God really looks like. He's like, if you want the trophy of heaven, if this is what you're focused on, let me clue you in how to get there. Jesus is calling him into a life of trust, a life of leaning, a life of following, a life that puts far more stock into the kingdom of God than the security of wealth and money. And it says that this man walks away sadly. Like he comes before Jesus, trusting Jesus, saying, good, teacher, what must I do? Jesus gives the answer and he walks away sadly. And some of us, me, are way too quick to see this and, and kind of distance ourselves from this man right now. I'm like, man, dude, you, you were this close. It is really bad that you lost and you left. That's not me. I, I'm in church, you know, so I, it's not me. I'm good. But like you walked away, it's too bad. 
But the truth is, like, think about this. He's seeking the kingdom of God. He wants to be obedient. And he finds himself longing for both the comfort of his savings account and the security of his soul. And he's really okay with the law. He really respects God. He believes in God. In fact, he comes to Jesus seeking more. But when he comes face to face with something that Jesus is saying, hey, I, I need you to give this up, he walks away sad. And so often this can be me. Like, I'm cool with this. Guys, I'm, this is good. We can come here and we can do church. This is fun. I like this. You all kind of agree with me. You're pretty friendly. Everyone's kind of smiling at me right now. Like, this is the good version of following Jesus. I love this following Jesus. I can do this every Sunday. I'll see you here at 10 o'clock. It's, it's awesome. I'll stay at Ethos, but I'll be at Ethos every Sunday, you know? Like, this is fun, but it, when it comes time where Jesus is like, hey, I, it may be very literal to this story, like, I need you to kind of give up your paycheck for this reason. It's like, no, Jesus, I gave you my Sundays. I don't know what else you need. Like, I, we're good, right? Or like, he's like, hey, hey, I need you to give me some more time on your calendar. Like, I need to be doing some work in your heart. I need you to sacrifice some time for me. It's like, hold on. Like, oh, I need you to trust your singleness. I know you thought you'd be married, but you're single. So I need you to trust me in that. I've got a plan. I'm like, no, I gotta, no, I got to fix this. And it's like, I so easily relate to this man who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, like, you're good. Like, you're, you're good. And, and yet, when he asks something of me, I'm like, maybe not, though. And I kind of walk away sad. And I, I don't want to take this story out of context. I think this is about a man who had a lot of wealth and who couldn't give it up to follow Jesus. But I also don't want us to miss this. There are moments in our life, for some of us right now, we, we're experiencing it. Where Jesus is like, I see you being obedient. You're obeying my commands. Like, I see you at Aspen Grove. I see you here worshiping. I'm asking for more. Like, I want to take you deeper. There's more than this. If you want to begin following me, or if you want to follow me deeper, this is what I'm asking of you. And this man walks away sad. And I want to move forward to the second story that we're going to be looking at. So this is going to be in verses 35 through 37. Then we're going to kind of skip ahead to verses 41 through 45. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. One, that is a bold way to approach Jesus. That's awesome. <laughs> do whatever we ask. And then Jesus responds with a really cool response. What do you want me to do for you? So good start. Jesus is like, what's up? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Okay. 41, we're going to skip down. When the 10 heard about this, the 10 disciples, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first uh, must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I don't know if anyone noticed the timing of this question. If you were looking at the screen, you probably didn't. But um, just before this, Jesus has predicted his death for a third time. And I don't know how quickly after James and John decide to ask this question, but it seems like an awkward time. Like Jesus is like, hey, I've come to die. And they're like, okay, about that. Can we get like seat saved? Like, can we right, left hand? Like, cool. Okay, great. It's like, I don't know if this is a good time, Jesus. I know this is kind of a tough moment. Um, no, but thinking about James and John and their question, it kind of, it is probably pretty selfish. Like, it's a weird question to be asking in this moment, but it's also one of faith. Like, they believe that Jesus was going to establish his, establish his kingdom. And without assuming too much of the text, um, I, I think they probably had a, maybe a different expectation of what the kingdom of God was going to look like for Jesus. 
maybe they heard the word Messiah and, and the first thing they thought of was Jesus coming with the sword and just, just slaughtering the Roman government and delivering the people into freedom. They'd seen God do a lot through Jesus in some crazy miracles. Maybe they thought Jesus was just going to poof and the kingdom was just going to appear. Maybe they had heaven in mind and they were like, eternity is really long. Jesus, we'd love to sit beside you the whole time. You know, I, I don't know where their mind was, but either way we know that they are seeking to sit beside a king at the highest places of honor. The right side was the highest assigned position, the left side was second. And they want, to, they want Jesus to basically estimate their value. Like, Jesus, we, we're good enough for this. Like, this is, we deserve this. Like, can we sit there? Like, and of course, the other 10 disciples are like, wow, I was going to ask too, but then I chose to be humble instead. And there you go. So anyway, so what is being revealed, what I want us to see is like to ask, like, what's being revealed in James and John in this moment when they ask this of Jesus? They heard Jesus say, whomever wants to follow me must deny themselves. They had heard the greatest sermons. They'd seen the miracles. They had the understanding that the kingdom was going to be expanded, yet they find themselves in this moment asking for their value to be determined. And what happens here is they get caught up thinking in kind of worldly terms where their actions are directly correlated with their worth. They found themselves wanting to lift themselves up above the fellow followers of Jesus that surrounded them. And isn't this just like a classic thing to do when you follow Jesus, especially in a church? It's like you come on Sunday morning and you go to Sunday class and you worship together and you love each other well, but some days you just kind of need to know you're better off. It's like some days you just need to know, but like, no, seriously, you should, I'm really serving though. Like, I'm good. Like, Jesus, I just taught. So obviously, I know we're all the same, but I'm kind of, you know, just a little, little bit above that's got to be that's got to be right right it's like that's just kind of like this kind of thing in us like this like longing to be great and um, this just kind of makes sense like it's everywhere in our world we're immersed in this kind of thought process that james and john kind of find themselves trapped in it's like what kind of car do you drive that's going to define how people perceive you like we know that it's like what kind of clothes are you wearing that's going to say something about where you are in our culture that's going to determine your value Hate it. Ugly truth makes us uncomfortable. You're like, man, what kind of car do I drive? What kind of clothes do I It's like, I know, it stinks, but it's just true, right? It's like we live in a world that really determines our value based on what we wear, what we have, and how we act. And I deal with this all the time. I deal with it on mornings like these when I'm up here. It's like, I, I want God to, to see me in a better light. And sometimes it can be hard in a world that's tainted with such a kind of messed up value system to remember that we serve a God that, served his, that sent his one and only son to be a homeless carpenter uh, born in a feeding trough. Like, that's the Jesus that, that we serve. And James and John have certainly forgotten it in this moment. And it's in the presence of Jesus that they forget like, what Jesus is all about in bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And so he reminds them, those who want to be great, those who are on the t-ball team and they're just picturing that trophy in their head, like this is what it takes. This is what the kingdom of God is actually all about. I've come to serve and not be served. I've come to lift the world above myself. And what I love about Jesus, what I love about these two stories, is whenever Jesus crosses paths with these people, he doesn't just respond with a sermon or teaching. He always responds with something that he's living into currently. I love that he's responding with something that he's very familiar with. He's not just reading the word and standing above you and saying, like, hey, do this. Like He's speaking from experience. So he tells the rich man, Give it away. Give all of it away. Follow me. Whatever is, whatever is like stopping you from entering the will of God, like throw it all away. And I imagine that rich man walks away like, that guy has no idea how much money I have. How can he ask me to give it all away? That, that cannot possibly, he doesn't understand what he's saying. And it's like, Jesus, 
who in perfection, surrounded by angels, worshiping his name, all the riches that you could ever imagine, just right there in the presence of Jesus, chooses to give it all away, to come to this earth, amongst the brokenness and sadness and sin, and become like us, and to take the sins of the world. Like when Jesus asked that man to give it away, to follow me, he was like, no, 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 I got you. No, I get it. I got it. I understand. I know it's hard. I really, really know. You know, like I was in heaven and now I'm here. I promise you I get it. I know what riches looks like. You don't actually. You're pretty broke compared to this. You know what I'm saying? So like I love that about Jesus. He sees this man and says, give it all away. Like I understand. Like, I've done this. I get it. And he tells the disciples who were eager to know their position with God, who want to know if they're good enough or righteous enough. He tells them that uh, I have come to serve and not be served. He kind of gives them this humbling lesson. He says, Jesus, through, like, by whom creation was made. Like, think about Jesus creating the world. Like, he would one day kneel down on the dirt that he, had, that he had made himself, and he would wash the disciples' feet. That one day that he would willingly get on a tree that he himself created and would be crucified on it. It's like, yo, when he was telling them, hey, like, I want you, we got to redefine what greatness looks like. I'm going to redefine what bringing the kingdom of God looks like. He's like, I'm not just telling you to serve. Like, watch what I do. Watch how I serve. And so what do we kind of do with this? The worst thing, well, a a tough thing in church is when a guy gets up and talks to me, and then I leave like, I don't know what to do with that. I I agree with you, but I don't know how to like apply this to my life. And so I want to give a kind of a practical application piece um, so this is going to be time where we're going to interact, or we're going to interact with each other, or maybe you're just going to interact with the Father, like, do your thing. But I want to give us some questions to think about as we head to communion. Um, and just so you know, like, we have communion, I think, in three spots in this room. One, two, and three, okay, if you're new here. Um, and this can be a time for you to just have communion and be alone with God, or a time to talk with each other, pray with each other, do what you want. But here's some questions that I want us to kind of guide us um, throughout this week. So we see the rich man who's holding on to something that Jesus has asked for. And he kind of just leaves pretty bummed out. It's like, I think there's probably two reasons he left pretty bummed. Uh, he probably didn't want to let go of what he had. And he probably didn't trust Jesus if he let go of what he had. Like, those are two things. Like, I don't want to let go of it. And even if I do, I'm pretty sure this isn't fail-proof. Like, pretty sure that following a homeless carpenter who's a pretty good teacher is not a good idea. Like, it's, it's not as good as what I've got. So I kind of wanted to ask us this morning... Like, what are you holding on to? Like, very simply. Like, you may have been holding on to it for 10 years, 10 days, 10 hours. I don't know. Like, but what is Jesus asking you to let go of? This could be possessions. This could be your time. This could be a sin issue. Some of you have come in, and there's some real darkness in your heart right now. And Jesus is like, here we go. I'm asking for it. This is your moment. Like, give it away. And the question is, can you let go of it? And do you trust Jesus? Like, do you trust that he's good enough? to care for you, that he can provide comfort. And the second thing is with the story with James and John, we see a picture of men who are way more concerned with their spiritual rank than they are with serving others. They wanted to lift themselves up rather than lower themselves on behalf of the people around them. And this was just kind of a moment for me. I wanted just to kind of ask myself and ask you guys, like, man, how are you serving in your life? And, and I don't mean like I, I love like going to like things to volunteer for, and those are good things, but I mean like in your family, in your friends, in your community? Like, where do you work? Where do you find yourself often? How are you lowering yourself and serving the people around you? Like, how are we taking what we hear on Sundays right here 
Uh, how do we take what we've heard here and then take it out into the world and then serve the world around us? So this was just kind of a, it felt kind of vague, but hopefully it's a good enough question for you. To, it gives you some framework. I just wanted us to ask ourselves, man, who do we know and how are we serving them? How are we lifting them up in the name of Jesus? The last thing I want us to see is in verses 24 through 27. I want you to hear this passage. This is right after the rich, young, the rich man had, had left sad. And it said, The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's kind of a downer. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? It's a good question. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And I, I know we may have heard that saying a lot, but this is a really encouraging moment. A man walks away sad. Jesus is like, yeah, it's hard. It can be really hard to let go of something that's keeping us from me. And the disciples are like, well, then what happens? Like, if it's that hard, what, what do we do? He's like, hey, anything that's impossible for man is possible with God. And so the last thing I wanted us just to invite us into was that there's something that, that you're dealing with right now that no one knows about or that some people know about, but you've been battling with it for a long time, like, and you just are having a hard time trusting God. Like, I just want to invite you into coming before God and giving it to him for the thousandth time or the first time. Give it to him and trust that anything is possible with God. Um, let's pray, and then we'll go to communion. God, thank you for your word, and thank you that we don't have to come up here and make anything up, like your word is good and it's sufficient. Um, I pray for communion. I pray for the reflection pieces. I pray, God, that through conversation, through prayer, that your spirit would be at work in hearts and that lives will be different because we know Jesus. Man, God, I, just, I pray against any willingness to compromise with following you, to reduce what you're calling us to, to our own uh, abilities. Jesus, will you draw us in deeper? Do what only you can do in the power of your spirit. Draw people deeper into your presence. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.